Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Aren't you thankful for the Spirit of the Lord that's moving in the service today? 2 Corinthians 3 and 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty to be blessed and encouraged and strengthened by God and God himself. So I'm grateful for the presence of the Lord that's here. And it's so wonderful to see each and every one of you in the sanctuary of the Lord. Give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd. Appreciate them, their dedication to the kingdom of heaven. Happy that my family is with me today. Silo's feeling better. Thank you for all your prayers. Somebody pray too hard because he's feeling too good. And uh, he might get a little excited during the service. But seriously, we're thankful for all of you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and we're going to read from two different portions of Scripture. First in Proverbs, the 11th chapter, and the first verse, Proverbs chapter 11, and verse number 1, and also Romans chapter 5. Verses 18 through 20. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. But first, let's direct our attention to Proverbs 11 and 1. The scripture tells us this a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Romans chapter 5, verse number 18. The apostle writes and says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners... So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might come. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I want to preach to us today on this subject, Heaven's Balancing Act. Heaven's balancing act. Can we lift our voices? Let's pray and let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful. God, for every individual, every man and woman that is in this place today, we are asking for you to open the windows of heaven, open up the floodgates and speak clearly and directly to us. Let the word of the Lord do what only it can do. God, we praise and thank you in advance for what you are getting ready to do in our midst. 
Pray in the name that's above every other name. Pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Down through the years, history has shown us some great accomplishments that come as a result of humanity working together. Uh, Cathedrals have been designed. Cities have been founded. Palaces have been built. All because of the work of mankind. And perhaps there is no greater example than the city of Rome. Rome, which has been around for hundreds and even thousands of years, and yet still men from all over, millions come to see the beauty and the elegance of this city. Whether they go to see the legendary arts of Titus or the temple of Augustus or the infamous Roman Colosseum, There is a place to see that is unlike any other venue. But as we began to look closer and dig deeper into the history of Rome, we know that there is some dark side to the history. There are wars and murder and bloodshed, terrorism and torture. And in many ways, Rome led the charge. Gladiators that fought to the death for entertainment. Emperors like Caligula who would have the audacity to stand and pronounce themselves to be God in the flesh. And even worse yet still, emperors like Nero who would take individuals and light them on fire and use them as human torches. And the only prerequisite is that they would be a Christian. So when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, they are familiar with the atrocities of the day. They have firsthand knowledge what it's like to be persecuted. They know in detail what it's like to be looked down on and to face adversity like none other. But yet Paul addresses them and says, sin does abound. I know there are vile and wicked and evil men. I know that there are those that are immoral and unrighteous and ungodly. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Even though it looks dark and bleak now, yet there is a hope that we have that the world cannot give and the world simply cannot take it away. It's something that we've seen since the beginning of the work of the Lord. All the way back in the book of Genesis when God created men. He put them in a perfect paradise. Gave them free reign of the garden of Eden. And yet man made the mistake of eating the forbidden fruit and bringing sin into the world. And by one man's disobedience, sin entered into all of us. And then that sin began to take full force. Brought in the sickness and and the pain in the hurt. It took away the peace and the harmony and the tranquility. And instead brought in confusion and worry and stress and 
anxiousness all over. But even though sin came in and threw the cycle off balance, God would not always leave it in that state. By one man's disobedience, all were made sinners, but God had a plan by one coming to make all men righteous. And in Genesis 3 and 15, it was God that said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God had a plan in mind that would equal the scales, bring it back into balance, and put it back the way it was intended to be. We see it all over, and even in a man uh, whose name was Joseph, Joseph, who was one, had a dream given to him by God that the stars and his brethren would bow down in reverence. And while Joseph was excited for the dream that God had given him, when he shared it with his family, they did not have the same kind of excitement. As a matter of fact, they were offended by his dream. And I preach to us today that not everybody's going to be impressed by your dream. Not everybody is moved with compassion by what you want to do for humanity and for the world. And when Joseph started telling this dream, his brethren got all upset. And they began to betray him. And he fell into a pit. And then in that pit, they decided to sell him into slavery. If there was ever a moment that life looked out of balance for Joseph, it was the moment that his family left his side and he was sold into slavery. That's just, that is not really a day I would like to remember. That would be something I would try my best to forget. But yet the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph. And when God is with you, you can make it through the good days and you can make it through the bad days. When God is with you, you can rejoice on the mountaintop and you can make it through the valley that you feel like is never going to end. Because God was with Joseph and Joseph began to be elevated, worked in the house of Potiphar. And as God began to raise him up, he got all the way to second in command. And when he started to be elevated, when the scales started to balance back out, it was Potiphar's wife that came with an accusation that said Joseph was trying to take advantage of her. And instead of the scales staying balanced for long, they went back off balance. Have you ever felt like that in life when things finally start to go well? When things finally start to point in the right direction, everything changes and it flips upside down. Joseph now finds himself in jail, in prison with those that have violated the law, that were criminals of the highest order. But yet while he was in jail, the scripture says God was with Joseph. It's comforting to know that God is always with us. Even in the worst of times, even in the lowest of moments, even in misery and in turmoil, we have the promise that God will be with us. God was with Joseph. 
And it was the butler and the baker that had dreams. And it was Joseph that interpreted those dreams. But it was that same Joseph that spoke to the butler and said, when you get out of here, and when you get promoted, don't you forget about me down in this dungeon because I need to get out. And what would happen? The butler would get out and he would forget about Joseph. I'm going to tell you some of the worst times in life is when people forget about you. And if people haven't forgotten about you, stick around. You haven't lived long enough. He is still in this dungeon. He is still eating the bread of affliction. He is still chained and shackled up, feeling like there's going to be no light at the end of the tunnel. No hope ever is going to come his way. But the Bible says Pharaoh had a dream. Didn't know the interpretation of the dream. There was a butler that said, I think I know the man you're looking for. You might not like this part, but he's actually a prisoner in your jail. But when I had a dream years ago, it was him that interpreted it for me. And Pharaoh brought Joseph up. And when he brought Joseph up, Joseph said, I can't do it in myself. But there is a God that knows all. He sees what nobody else sees. And he hears what no one else hears. And would you believe that he began to interpret this dream for Pharaoh? And Pharaoh was so impressed. He was so moved by the actions of Joseph that he raised him up and put him all the way in command except for his position. And here Joseph is finally getting a balanced shake at life. He's been betrayed by his family. He's lived as a slave. Then he's lived in a jail cell, prisoner for years on end, and now his moment has finally come. And yet the Bible says a famine came upon the land. Food was getting scarce, but Joseph had a plan. Little did he know that his own brethren would be without food. Little did he know that his own family would come before him and they would be bowing down hoping that Joseph would be extending some kind of kindness to them. But when they found out it was their brother that was leading the charge, they became so worried. They became so bothered and upset. Said Joseph, he's going to get mad at us. He's going to take vengeance in his own hands. He's going to be offended because what we did to him in the past. And when they were ready for the, the judgment to come from Joseph, Joseph looked at them and said, No, what was meant for evil, God meant it for good. I know it looks off balance right now, but I've lived long enough to know that if you keep living right, if you keep living holy, if you keep putting your shoulder to the plow and being honorable in the sight of men, it can seem like evil is in is invading your territory it can seem like evil is surrounding you all the time but we know there is somebody that has a plan in mind who's never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us 
he knows how to balance out the scales. Balancing out. But yet, when you're in the moment, you don't want to wait for the scales to be balanced out. I think about the man named Abraham who prayed for a child. It was his desire. He was desperate for it to happen. But as the days turned to weeks and the weeks turned to months and the months turned to years and the years turned to decades, he began to be concerned that his prayer was never going to be answered. But when he was close to a hundred years old, God began to speak to him and said, Abraham, you get ready because you're going to have a child. There was something in him that thought, God, I think you may have missed the moment to balance out the scales. Because when I tell my wife she's fixing to be pregnant, She's 90 years old now. And when Abraham told his wife, she started laughing. So oh, I know God's playing a trick on me. This April Fool's joke has went too far. I'm 90 years old. But in Genesis 18 and 14, God said, Is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? There's no prayer that I can't answer. There's no situation that I can't change. There's no circumstance that I cannot fix. There's no life that I can't turn around. He began to bring that equalizer. And for that prayer, they prayed for years on end. Finally. They got to hear the crying of a little baby. And Abraham held him in his arms. Woo. Oh, God knows he longed for that moment. Only God knows how many sleepless nights Abraham stayed awake. God only knows how many moments he cried himself to sleep, wondering if he was ever going to hold a baby in his arms, wondering if he was going to name this child, wondering if his prayer was ever going to be answered. Finally started to get balanced. But then it started tipping in the wrong direction. When God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham... I want you to give up your child. God, how, how could you ask that of me? You know I prayed for years for that to happen. God, how could you put that on me? I finally got to where I want to be. I finally got a son of my own. I finally got a baby that I could call my own. And now you're asking me to give it up. Abraham said, God, if that's what you want, I'm willing to do it. So he took his son Isaac, led him up Mount Moriah. You have to know that every step of the way, there were questions racing through his mind. You had to know that every moment that passed by, there had to be something roll over in his thoughts I said, God, why are you asking this of me? God, why are you putting this on me? I don't even know if I can bear it. And how did he react when his own son said, Daddy, I know you got the wood, and I know we got the knife and everything prepared for the fire, but where is the sacrifice? 
Abraham stood for a moment and then he responded in Genesis 22 and 8 when he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. I don't know if Abraham realized the magnitude of his words, but he said, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is all going to come to pass, but I know God will provide himself. God's not going to leave me high and dry. God's not going to put on me more than I can bear. God's not going to leave me all by myself. God's going to come through when I need him to come through. So when his son was laying on that table of sacrifice and Abraham had the knife in his hand getting ready to take that boy's life when he began to hear the noise in the thicket and he looked over and there was a ram there had to be a smile on Abraham's face that said, God pushed me to the brink. I thought the scale was going to break, but now he's bringing it back in balance and he's going to come through like he always does. I wonder if he could have ever imagined that not many steps away there was another mount called Calvary where there would be a heavenly father who would send his one and only son. How can that be? The one that came down from the hallelujahs of heaven. The one that came down from the eternal ecstasy. The one that came down from the perfect paradise. The one who healed the sick and opened the blinded eyes and unstopped the deaf ears. The one who fed the hungry and helped the poor. The one who gave life to those that had died. How is it that this one, how is it that the prince of life is going to be killed? Oh, I can hear Mama as she began to wail at the foot of the cross. Can you imagine her emotions that were being ripped out of her chest as her baby was being whipped and beaten and pierced in a side? How is it? Oh, I, I could just try to imagine as Mary knelt by the foot of the cross and began to question, God, how was I a virgin and I gave birth to this baby? How is it that an angel appeared to me and said, this is going to be the Savior of the world? How is it that this is the man that walked on the water that raised the dead back to life that broke five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000 how can this be right how can this be balanced the scales are way off right now how is it that he's going to breathe his last breath die on that cross of Calvary when Jesus breathed his last breath, I can only imagine the devil's reaction when he thought he had finally won. Oh, I can only venture to see the party that was being planned when he thought he had killed the Savior of the world. You know, it wasn't long ago I was facing a precarious position and fighting some spiritual warfare and I decided to go onto a particular website. It was maybe not the best choice of mine, 
But when I went on this website, I began to look at everything that was posted, written, and published. It's in constant opposition to Christ. Constant opposition to everything we stand for and believe. Trying to figure out if I even need to look on this at all. I was kind of surprised. In the corner of the website, they had a diary of sermons. I thought, well, it's kind of strange. So I just clicked on the link and a sermon pulled up. The title of the sermon was The Nazarene. And I thought, well, what in the world could they say in a sermon? As I began to read it, it said that the Nazarene was a liar. The Nazarene was a manipulator. The Nazarene had dangled hope for humanity for too long, but he always fails. He never delivers on his promise. And at first, as I began to read this, my blood started boiling. Mad and angry, you know, barely able to contain myself and over and over again, insults and trying to degrade over and over again the Nazarene, the Nazarene, the Nazarene. Finally, there was a line that stuck out to me and it said, the Nazarene is not worthy for us to even say his name. And something triggered in my mind and I started to read further, Brother Fears, and I started to realize that they thought they were being derogatory. They thought they had authority and power, but they couldn't even say his name. See, the devil thought he really had to leg up on Christ, but in all actuality, you don't even stand a chance. When he took the life of the Savior, he didn't know what was getting ready to happen. When he threw the celebration and when they turned up the music, little did they know there was going to be a knock on the gate of hell. And the one that had people in fear over death, the one that had people in intimidation, there was the Savior standing before him and said, I'm taking the keys back. I'm taking the keys of hell. And I'm taking the keys of death. And there's a balancing act that's about getting ready to happen. So now we don't have to be fearful whether we live or whether we die. See, the world that we live in, they don't know what's getting ready to happen. But brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we have a promise from the Lord. We have an assurance that can only come from heaven. If we go up by the way of the rapture or if we go by the way of the grave, we win either way. We can't be defeated and we can't be overcome. If we live, we win. If we die, we win. Somebody ought to say, I can't lose. We can't lose. No wonder 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord 
You don't think life gets out of balance. You never had to bury a loved one. You don't think life gets out of balance. You don't go through sorrow and trouble and struggle. You don't think life ever gets out of balance. But oh, there's a great day coming where heaven is going to bring it all back. We're going to see those that went before us. We're going to shake the hands of mothers and fathers again. We're going to see spouses that have met their eternal reward. We're going to walk down street of gold. We're going to see gates of pearl and walls of jasper. What a great resurrection day that's going to be. It may be off balance right now. Paul said, I know this isn't the best time in the world. Sin is abounding. I know Paul was not ignorant. He was not foolish. He was not turning a blind eye. He said, I know right now it's not always real hot to be a Christian. He said, it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. He said, but I've got a promise that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Even though it gets dark, even though it gets dreary, even though it gets bleak, there is a balancing act that's getting ready to come that we're going to be able to say I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was on a path to hell, but now I'm on a direction to heaven. I once didn't know what the world was going to do. I didn't know how life was going to end, but oh, what a day it's going to be when we see him. Oh, what a response when the crowns are handed out and they're placed on our head no wonder the scripture says we're going to take the crowns off of our head and throw them down at his feet because it was never about the crown it was never about the mansion it was never about the street of gold it was never about the jewels it was all about him and when we see him it's going to take one second and all the trouble you've had to endure is going to pale in comparison. Every sorrow, every tear, every struggle, every long night, every tear that's ever streamed down your face in one second, it's going to balance back and it's going to be worth living for God. I wonder today as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Friend of mine, it's worth it. I can't promise you that it's going to be a bed of roses. The songwriter said he never promised us, never promised us it was going to be easy. That the cross want to get heavy. But oh, when the balancing act happens... It may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but when the balancing act happens and when this world is in our rear view mirror, you're going to be so thankful that you live for God. Maybe somebody today, you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, never repented of your sins. Maybe you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost. This 
should be the number one priority. Because when this world ends and when our life reaches a final conclusion, what's going to matter is if the Holy Ghost is inside of you and if you made your calling and election sure. Can we stand all across the house? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, you know the battles that have been fought. You know the tears that have been cried. God, you know the questions that have been asked. You know the moments that life has been out of balance and we didn't know what to do. God, we're praying right now. God, from the front of this sanctuary to the back and from the left to the right, you would begin to send your spirit and it would sweep over us. God, you know the prayers that have yet to be answered. You see the dreams that have yet to become reality. God, I pray for the young people. I pray for the elders. God, we pray for this congregation. You are the one that holds tomorrow in the palm of your hand. You know the end from the beginning, and you are the one that can balance it out. Oh, hallelujah. Can you step out of where you're standing? Let's make our way down to an altar today. Hallelujah. You need encouragement from the Lord. He's here. You need refreshing from the Lord. He's here. You need a blessing from heaven. He is here right now. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.